0: And so, in verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 30, it begins, And when all these things come to you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore the fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart... And the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all those commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, as he took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes that were written in the book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. All right. So here's the context of what's happening here. Uh, We skipped a few chapters from last week to this week. We ended last week in chapter 26, and we're starting in in chapter 30. And what we missed was after Moses goes over all of the law and he preaches through the Ten Commandments and he preaches how it applies to their society and to their nation, he says at the end of that, to kind of end his sermon, he says, and if you follow the law, these are all the blessings that will come. You know, the Lord will make them a great nation. He will prosper them. A lot of the blessings we right here. And they get very specific. Then after that, he says, if you don't follow the law, here are all of the curses that will come. And he begins to name for a couple of chapters all the curses that will come from the law if the nation does not follow it. So in this text, we are starting off with this. And that verse 1, it says, and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse. And so this entire text is predictive. Uh, God is prophesying what will happen, and he's saying all of these things are going to come. First, you are going to experience the blessing, and then you are going to experience the curse. And when that happens, I want you to remember this. And so Moses Uh, God is taking Moses into the future and he's saying this is going to happen and tell them this is going to happen when they experience the blessing, then they experience the curses. And it's kind of like this in your life. You uh, you know, if you ever get into a crazy point in your life and you make a vow, I've done this a million times, you say, God, if I get out of this situation... I promise you, I will obey you and follow you. That thing that you wanted me to do, that person you wanted me to break up with, you know that, that 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 drug that you wanted me to stop taking, that person that I shouldn't be talking to anymore. I promise, I will never do it again. And then you, you know, you you get out of the situation, you're alive, you know, you realize, oh man, this okay. Now I'm I gotta follow through. I made a promise to God. So you follow through for a little while, and then you're like, eh, I'll be fine. And then, you, you know, you forget about that promise. A lot of time goes by, and then you go back to your disobedient ways, right? And that is where Israel is at this point, and what God is showing them. And when they get there, when they have gone back to being disobedient, when they have realized all of the curse of the law, for where they are, and they're back To the place that they have started, which is oppression, which is being scattered all around the world, uh, not being in their own land. That is what this passage is about. What will happen? What will happen? So if you have been there before, you can take heart. You may be there right now. You can take heart. uh, Because what God is saying to Israel is actually something that is incredible to hear for us as people. And so when that happens, you know, God, he says, they're going to experience the curse of the law. They're going to be driven out of their land. It's a promise from him. And he will then, what? Cause them to return to the Lord. Not only will they return, but them and their children, and it will cause obedience. So there's a trend here that we need to see. Uh, that we've seen all through Deuteronomy, we see all through Scripture, God uses hard situations to get our attention. right? Many times in hard situations, we are asking God, God, where are you? Well, I don't sense you in this. It's, it's been tough. You know, we're, If you're like Israel, they're saying we're oppressed, we're scattered, we are not in our own land, we've been taken afar off, we've been dragged off, the best of our country is gone. And you can easily say, God, where are you? But what really we should stop asking is where is he? And we should start asking, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because what we have to see in this is God is here in their hard times for Israel. God is very present. God has not deserted you if you're in hard times. Maybe God has divinely caused the hard time. Why would God do that? Because at the end of that hard time, in the end of the hard place, what is he desiring? What is he desiring of Israel? He desires this, a return to the Lord. A return to the Lord. You know, sometimes it takes us going through a hard thing multiple times to realize God is trying to teach me a lesson. You know, before I got married, there was a lesson that I had to learn two times. And it is this when God says no, it means no. All right, that's a great lesson. There was uh, the, the first girl that I thought, you know, I loved and I didn't. Uh, I was 18. I was like, man, I'm a adult. You know, I can make these life choices now. I know who I like. And I looked over, I was, I was living in Ohio at the time, and I was like, Look at this girl worshiping God. That was it. That did it for me. But how many people have gone through the Christian dating circuit to know it doesn't matter how high they throw up their hands on Sunday, that has nothing to do with their character? Come on now. <laughs> so this is the first girl I fell for. Now granted, I hadn't had a girlfriend since eighth grade and I don't really consider that a real girlfriend. And so I thought, this, you know, this was it, late night talks, mailing each other, all of this stuff, you know, we had a, a summer fling, and at the end of that, after a few months of talking to this girl every day, I found out she was with another guy, because she lived in another, another city. And, but to get up to that process, I don't know how many times I prayed, and God said, nope, it's not the one, Justin, get away. How many times my pastor at that time, my uncle told me, nope, Justin, that is not the one. I was like, I'm sorry, buddy, but I know better than you. <laughs> She's the one. And I had to go through this uh, at that point. I had, a, I had a potty mouth. You know, like in high school, um, my goal was if, if we got into a fight was how badly could I curse you out so that you just <laughs> felt... Just inhumane at that point. I wanted I wanted you to feel as little as possible, and to do that, I just I would I would curse somebody out to make them feel as little as possible. I was an awful person, and so when I when I had actually given my life to God when I was eighteen and I moved away to another state, uh, I hadn't cursed for like four months. It was a miracle, you know, for me to have not have cursed for that long. But I remember that night that I found out. That she was talking to somebody else. And let me tell you, I remember thinking, Justin, you haven't cursed in a while. But that S-O, like, it just came out. And my friend was sitting next to me in the car. He was from Brooklyn, and he's driving. And I just went off on this girl. And he was like, oh, my God. Yo, bro, it's okay. Let me just pray for you right now. Yo, it's going to be all right. And I was like, no. And you would think I would learn my lesson, and I said to myself, God, and I'm going to listen to you next time. When you tell me no, I'm going to listen to the people that you have put in my life to mentor me and, and to speak into my life. Six months later, man, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I, forgot. I forgot. <laughs> And there I was again. Oh, Jesus. Man, she could sing. That was this one. Just knows that when you can sing, everybody be coming out of the woodworks like, hey, you're anointing, sister. God is telling you we're supposed to get married. Now, I never got that crazy. I never be telling a girl that we were supposed to get married because God told me unless I knew she liked me, you know? Don't say that to people. Single people, don't tell a person that unless you know they like you, okay? Just a good, good hint for you. And there it was again, right back into it. God said no. My pastor said no, this, this wasn't for you. Six months later, even worse, because it wasn't just a heartbreak with a girl, but my best friend. It was, it was deep. Yes, I know. And what did I learn? I returned to God. I remember praying, you know, and I, I said, God, you know what? I think I learned my lesson for real this time. That unless you say yes, I'm just, I have to stay away. And thank God, the next time I got into a relationship, it wasn't until God said yes, my boo-boo right there. <laughs> but you know, God had told me no for two years before I asked her out. I had feelings for her for two years before God said, okay. Now you can go ask her out. And that's just sometimes, I don't know if you want to go through the same heartache I had to get to, to get to that point. So I don't pray that over you. But when God tells you to do something, do it. That's what he's saying to Israel. And if you don't, there's going to be hard times that you come into. But the goal of that time is so that you return to me. And come to him and say, I will be obedient to you now, God. And I'm going to return with what? All my heart and all my soul, it says. And what will God do? God will have, will restore Israel. God will restore you and have mercy. Because what? God's plan for his people has always been restoration. God's plan for his nation, God's plan for his people, God's plan for humankind has always been restoration. There has not been a plan. A parenthetical thought was never in the thought. What does restoration look like for Israel here? In the middle of verse 3, he starts, he says, Moses says, he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. It reminds me of this verse in Romans 8.38 as I was reading this. Paul says in Romans 8.38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord if you're not getting the point of Paul here he's saying nothing rulers height depth life death angels nothing things to come in the future things that have happened in the past nothing can separate us from him It doesn't matter how far Israel, he's saying, you have been scattered. It doesn't matter if you've gone to the uttermost parts of heaven. If you've gone to the very farthest reaches of the universe, God will come and he will bring you back into his fold. No matter where you have been scattered to, he sees all, he is everywhere and he will come and he will grab you and he will bring you back together and he will gather you back to his people. We are never out of his reach. We are never out of his sight. It doesn't matter how far we feel like we have fallen. It doesn't matter to the depth of whatever valley or to the peak of whatever mountain or to the end of the ages. It does not matter. We are not out of his reach. And what will happen when God goes and he gets us? What is he saying that he restores? Some of us, we've had a disciplinarian as a parent and we take that into our relationship with God that when I hear that, when I hear my parent calling me as a kid and meant a beating was coming. So some, some of us, we hear that God's been calling, we think, man, a beating is coming. But what God is looking for is restoration. He is looking for a heart to return to God with all that we have. See, the great thing about restoration is that God never skimps out on it. See, when God decided he was gonna restore all of humankind to himself, you know, and it wasn't just gonna be his people, Israel, that were gonna be his, but everybody. You know what he did? He sent his son, Jesus, to do that. He never skimps out. When he restores Israel, what does he say? He says, he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. He doesn't skimp out. When restoration happens with God, it's not, oh, this is gonna be a less than it was before, but it's gonna be a greater than in my life. That God is looking to do more and bring abundance of relationship and joy and peace in my life. So Moses says, that's not it. So he says, the circumcision that you have is going to be one of your heart. This means that following God will no longer be an outward appearance of having to do this, but it will be an inward desire that delights in God. So in restoring Israel's They're going to be more numerous than their fathers. They will be more prosperous than their fathers. They will have an inward delight in God that cannot be fabricated. And we can stop there, but God doesn't stop there. He says, there's more I'm going to do. Then God says, I will take the curses that were on you, and I'm going to put them on your enemies. The oppressors that have oppressed you will now be oppressed. The ones that have been taking advantage of you, they will find judgment. And when we read this today, we start thinking of people in our head. That dumb boss that has been oppressing me. That family member that just keeps turning their back on me. That friend that backstabbed me. We think of people... That's not the point. Spoiler alert. Our enemies in the new covenant are not people. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. We talked about this when we talked about faith in battle a few weeks ago. And so when you start thinking, oh God, I can't, I can't wait. That person's going to get theirs. I can't wait. No! That's not the point. Our enemy is not people. God says to love the people who hate you. We should be praying for those people because they have obviously something that's hurt them so deeply that they have to act this way towards you. We pray for their salvation. We love them. You get them Snickers bars for those of you that were here for that. Our enemy is Satan. And guess what? Judgment is coming upon his head. In the very beginning in Genesis, it was prophesied that he would bruise the heel, but what? The seed would then crush his head. God's restoration then includes a greater blessing, delighting in our prosperity, an inward delight in God, and it also includes victory over the enemy that has oppressed, tempted, and cursed us. And right here is where most sermons will end. You're going to have victory. You're going to to be prosperous. You're going to have blessing. Let's pray it out. Stand up if you want it. Raise your hands. Receive it. Amen. Let's go home. But Moses doesn't end here. Moses actually starts going backwards. Moses, after saying all this, then begins to start at the beginning, and he he says this, and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all of his commandments that I have commanded you today. For what? For God is going to do this when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law. Sometimes we get so hype about what God is going to do, we forget about what we need to do. And Moses understands this, so he says, hey, before you get crazy, before you start jumping up and down and shouting amen in your chairs, let me remind you of something. Be obedient to God. And in your obedience, when you are obedient, Israel, guess what? God will begin to do all these things. When you obey him, and then what? When you love him with everything. It may take being in a hard place. It may take being scattered to do this, but don't forget it. Sometimes we have this entitlement mentality as Christians. God just owes me prosperity. God just owes me blessing. God just owes me whatever I want. I remember this one girl. Uh, they, there's this little clique of, of girls in Ohio. I got a lot of Ohio stories for to you today. We used to call them the Super Saves folk, and that was because they thought they were more spiritual than everybody else. And they would play this game that is just. And the, the older I get, the more demented I think this game is. They would they would get together and they'd have a prayer meeting, and they would say to one another, they would ask this question. They said, and you would the first thing that came to your head, you would say it. What do you want? A yacht! And then they would just start praying over the girl. God's gonna give you a yacht. That's the Spirit talking to you right now, that you are gonna have a yacht in your life. In Ohio, right? A landlocked state. That was actually the first thing I thought of. I'm sorry. And we get in our flesh. That's what it is. We get in our flesh. The desires of this world, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. The three things that John warns us against in his epistles. We take that and we say, well, God, you owe me this. You owe me the fancy this, the fancy that, the expensive this, the expensive that. And we get entitled and we obey God for one day. And God, where is my promotion? Hello. You still? You still there? God, I, I want this. That's where we get sidetracked. But Moses is saying, when your heart becomes God's. You begin to obey him. And then what happens? It says here that God takes delight in prospering Israel. That he actually enjoys prospering his people. This is a direct quote here. That God takes delight in prospering them. See, something that we need to realize is that we could also go to the other end and think God just wants us to live miserable lives and that the more spiritual we are, the more miserable we are. I mean, we have entire monasteries devoted to people being miserable. If you read the story of Luther in the, in the early phases of his life, he used to whip himself because he thought the more pain he inflicted on his life, the more God would forgive him for his sins and the more God would love him. And some of us have been inflicting pain on ourselves thinking, the worse I feel about my life, the more miserable I am in my family, in my job, in my relationships, then the more spiritual I am. What does it say? It says, God delights in prospering Israel. Do you know that God doesn't need to be convinced to take care of us? Do you know that you don't need to fast and and to pray in order for God to take care of your needs? Did you know that? God is just asking for one thing from you. He's asking you for your heart. When you give God your heart, when you seek first his kingdom, when you say, God, nothing else is important but you, guess what? God begins to take delight in prospering. You don't have to beg him. In Matthew 7, Jesus gives this little story. He says, do you know that fathers who are evil... You know, every person on earth is inherently evil. If you don't agree with that, we can debate later. (laughs) And and Jesus says, fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more, then, is a good father in heaven going to give good gifts to his children? Some of us get all wrapped up in the begging for stuff. And we forget To worship and praise and adore the King. My prayer is not God bring me prosperity, it's God teach me to love and obey you. When I start praying for things, guess what? Whatever I'm praying for, my heart draws near to that. So if I'm praying for a better job, my heart draws near to the job. If I'm praying for more money, my heart draws near to that money. If I'm praying for that home, my heart draws near to that home. But when I'm praying for God, guess what? My heart draws near to God. And when I'm praying and my heart is his, God tells Israel, I will delight in prospering you. Because when I pray, God, change my heart so that I love you and I, I, I obey you, I don't need to pray for God's blessing. Do you know that God is looking to actively bless his people? You don't need to beg him for the blessings. You don't need to beg him for joy and for peace. You don't need to beg him so that you are not in need. These are things that he gives to his children. What you need to beg him is so that he can change your heart so you start loving him and the things that he loves. So you can be obedient to him so that when that temptation, when that girl texts you again or that guy texts you again, when that alcohol is in front of you, when that drug has its choice time in your life again, say, God, I don't want to obey the things of this world. I want to obey you. See, sometimes we're committing fornication, we're having sex before marriage, and we're praying for God to bless us, and then we wonder why we're in a hard place. Sometimes we are on our computer at night, surfing in the websites that we're not supposed to go to. And then we say God where are you? Guess what? God is speaking to you right now. You have been struggling with an addiction that has been taking over your life. For some of us is entertainment I've known people that have neglected their families because of games, that have shopping addictions where they put their family into debt, I've seen people go bankrupt because they didn't know how to handle a credit card. That's called an addiction. Addiction. Or we're in a relationship and it's like, hey, that person loves God and I love God. That makes it holy. No, that does not make it holy if you are being unholy with each other and before God. And we come to this hard place and we think, why am I experiencing stress? Why am I experiencing anxiety? Why am I experiencing these, these things, paranoia in my life? because maybe, like Israel, God has taken you to a hard place so that he can punish you, so that he can condemn you, so that when you walk into church so you can throw fire and brimstone on your life. No. Because he wants you right here, right now, in this moment, to return to him. He wants you to realize that it doesn't matter how far low you have gone. If you have been in a pornography habit and you have lied to everybody that you know, you've been lying to your friends, you've been lying to your spouse, you've been lying whoever it is that you've been lying to and it's been going on a long time, it doesn't matter how far gone you've been in your mind and in your lies. He's saying you can go to the othermost parts of heaven. You can go to the other side of the universe. And guess what? You are not out of my reach. You could be in a relationship right now that you know is unholy before God. And he is begging, he is looking, return to me. You won't have to ask for my mercy and my grace. You won't have to beg for my blessing. I will delight in prospering you. See, the enemy will lie to us and say, You're too far gone. You know, that's how we there's a few ways the enemy keeps us oppressed. He says, keep it to yourself, don't tell anybody. And in your silence every day that you are silent, you are building the stronghold and the fort of that sin in your life. He's, he also lies to us he says, You're too far gone. This person won't love you anymore. God doesn't love you anymore. They're gonna judge you. They don't wanna hear about it. This is gonna be bad for you. They're not gonna look at you ever the same. You think God is taken aback by your sin? You think he doesn't know what's going on? He knows. But what is he looking for? That we... Return to him. Moses, he brings it full circle. What he started with, he ends with. He says, turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Take it from me. You know, some people think being a Christian means walking a perfect life. I disagree because then I would not be a Christian. You know what Christianity is really made up of is people who constantly return to God. The difference between someone who serves God and someone who doesn't is not someone who doesn't sin necessarily. You may, as you get God's heart, sin less or maybe the bigger sins out of the picture, the sins that you don't inherit the kingdom of God for, maybe those stop. But guess what? A person who is a sinner and not a sinner is not the difference between someone who follows God and someone who doesn't. It's the person who returns to God. That's the difference between someone who follows Him And someone who doesn't, because I can tell you, my testimony is not one of perfection, but it's one of time after time after time where I thought I had gone too far, where I thought I had crossed the line for the last time in my life. God said, no, you are still my child. Return to me today.